Hi, I'm Steve Lodori. And I'm Akiva Bibi. Together, we'll be talking to leading innovation experts from across the world who are going to share how they've been keeping themselves busy during this time of disruption. That is, reinventing themselves, their teams, and their businesses at breakneck speed so that they can be ready for the new normal. We've got a fantastic guest here, uh, Prakash Nedlgali. You're going to pronounce it better than I am going to do, but he's been uh, he's been a four-decade-long marketing strategy and customer innovation leader, currently at Adia Barilla, where he's been for uh, for a number of years. And he's been... A general, he's been everything from a general manager to supply chain to sales to everything like that. He's uh, he's the customer uh, group head for customer insights and brand development. Now he's been responsible for significant shifts in all the group's global businesses into a way, way, way more customer centric point of view. Now, before I go any further, I want to pause and let Prakash both introduce himself. And just as importantly, because I'm sure for a lot of viewers, uh, certainly those outside of uh, India and, and Asia, and, and even though they got businesses in the States, not very familiar with the Adia Barilla Group. So, Prakash, could you kind of do a one-two for a couple of minutes? Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, and then tell us about the, the fantastic organization uh, that you help run out of uh, uh, Mumbai. Sure, uh, Stephen. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to. You've been disrupted. Uh, you know, uh, absolutely been uh, honored to be on this program. Uh, yeah, so I'm Prakash Nedungadi, that's the way you pronounce it, and I'm from India, uh, in southwest corner place called Kerala. I, I joined my career in management in uh, Unilever, worked there for several years uh, in sales, marketing, general management, went to in various categories, food, home cleaning, margarine, ice cream. Then I went to Gillette and I headed marketing for India. Uh, then I joined this group, called Aditya Bella Group, I'll talk about it, as the CEO for their branded apparel division. Went back to Gillette as business director for Middle East and Africa. Gillette got merged with P&G, joined P&G and worked a few years. I'm one of the few guys, I think, who has worked in both Unilever and P&G. Then I worked in a social organization, which I helped found, which does uh, school teacher training in India, which is a very important social area of, of uh, focus. And then I came back to Aditya Birla Group as the group head for customer insights and brand development. My passion is about creating customer value, delighting customers, and thereby, you know, getting value for businesses. So that's me. The Aditya Birla Group is a $48 billion group. About half of its sales are in India and half of its sales are abroad. So we are leaders and we are we're a conglomerate. Um, several B2B areas, aluminum, uh, uh, carbon black, which goes in tires, uh, uh, chemicals where we are in many cases. So cell phone cases too, I think, right? <laughs> on, uh, the Gorilla Glass is made yep. with, uh, our, from, from our, one of our chemical companies. and uh, But also consumer products. I mean, we have fashion, we have retail, we have uh, uh, home building, we have financial services, so mutual funds, life insurance, the work. So it's really a, a very comprehensive or a very you can call it a mixed bag, a very enriching bag of, uh, of different experiences that I get. Working with all these businesses with a common aim, which is how do you get closer to customers? How do you understand what they really want? And how can you deliver better than anybody else can? Um, and how do you create a culture of, like that, of that in the organization? Uh, and thereby build very stronger and stronger brands. So that's what I do, Steve. And, uh, you know, Steve, you've been a great help to me. Uh, as being part of the ABG Marketing Council, so I can never forget 
the steps we did to make that happen. To point out for our audience is, you know, first of all, this is a, Edinburgh is a 48 billion dollar global conglomerate and there's you know you you hear about 48 billion dollar companies and everyone's like oh i'm you know i know exactly who they are you know they're they're household names well you're you're you you might be a household name uh in india in fact the last time i I was uh leaving to head home from one of your marketing councils i actually had i had a luggage tag on that you gave me at one of our first meetings and somebody actually stopped me at the airport and said oh you work with the Edinburgh group so clearly highly um, highly visible and well-known with a number of businesses across India. But, you know, I think in the States, in Europe, Middle East, Africa, uh, probably not so well-known. But $48 billion is an amazing, amazing uh, size, are, sophisticated company. Right. Well, you know, you're right. In India, we are among the top two or three groups, uh, top three groups in the country. And anybody would know we're a legacy. I mean, it's a, it's a company with a great legacy, mm-hmm. very strong uh, and very strong core values, but in a, in a blog globally, though we're not known as a Tibirla, I mean, um, so one of our companies is called Novelis, is based out of Atlanta, and it makes aluminum sheets for cans. And uh, so every third can of beer or can, third can of Coke or Pepsi or whatever that you would drink anywhere in the world would be made with our aluminum. So we have because we have a thirty five percent global share. Yeah. So. Uh, so that's the kind of presence we would have across the world in just one of our product categories. Uh, and like I said, because it's, you may not know it because you know the Pepsi and you know the beer, but you don't know the, you may not know the aluminum in the can behind it, but that's what we do. Interestingly, over 65% of that aluminum is made with, is recycled. So is, uh, you know, we recycle 65% of the cans that we sell. So that's a big part of our sustainability initiative. Uh, but again, I think we need to do a lot more work to make ourselves known abroad. And the point you make is very valid. How did you connect with these different businesses and begin to get them to, you know, quite frankly, buy in? Because, you know, you, you had leadership by, I would say, by, by your expertise and by the, the skill that you and your team brought in. You didn't have the organizational authority because none of these people reported to you, but clearly – Clearly, you led them on quite a transformation. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how, how how did you conceive it? How did you get into this great customer journey? And just take a few minutes to expand on that. Well, I think, uh, thanks, Steve. I think, uh, you know, so we all grew up and uh, the other Dibela group grew up in the 20th century where it was more a supply-led. If you could supply, there would be demand. And in India and in many parts of the world, you know, you had to supply and there would be people outside waiting for you in many categories. And if you chose the right categories where this would happen, well, you were in a good place. Uh, but towards the early 21st century, clearly that was changing. You know, customers were changing. Uh, business cycles were becoming much, uh, you know, much more uh, uh, uncertain. Uh, and clearly it was an excess supply economy, not an excess demand economy. So we had to learn, unlearn many things, and we had to learn new areas. And that's where the chairman kind of come, came and told me that, why don't you come and start this up and we'll see where it goes. And, uh, you know, on the flight back, after meeting him, I wrote out my job description. Interestingly, when I looked at the job description today after eight years, I, I was pretty on the spot while doing that on the flight, which is, which, is, uh, which is interesting, which was to create an understanding across the business, across the business in every business uh, of the customer. And to start from there to say, how can we create value for them? And then through that, create value for us rather than working it the other way around. Whereas we where in the other way, we would say, hey, how do we create value for us? Now, we have this product or we have this service. I'm going to go and sell that. 
And then, and the value is, you know, the inherent value approach is about value for me. And how do we change that to getting value for customer and then value for me uh, as a business? And the journey really started by understanding the organization. So in the first few months, I attended several board meetings. I just used to end up, end up and not board meetings, the business review meetings. And I used to watch. And I, and, you know, I think it's very important for, for a person to get an insight into the workings, the, the mindsets of the internal people who are decision makers. So I realized that in every business review meeting, wherever there were good numbers, wherever, sorry, wherever there were numbers, people could have a good discussion. And wherever there were no numbers, people could not have a good discussion. And uh, it would go all over the place. So, uh, and we had no numbers on customers, yeah. except for air or something like that. But, you know, it would go into, oh, I met this customer that day. He said this, or someone met that other customer and she said that. And, and before you don't know, everybody would lose interest. So I realized we need a measure. Uh, to start with. So we started with a measure, a very simple measure, net promoter score. Everybody knows it. But I, I uh, this possible measure because, you know, the chairman understood it, the store manager in our stores understood it, the guy in the factory floor understood it. Uh, and that's all I wanted. I wanted a very simple measure to get the conversation going. And uh, as we started implementing that, that was one of my first programs, uh, actually changed, we Instead of calling it a dry thing like NPS, we branded it and we called it Mission Happiness. So it is about the mission of creating happy customers. And the first thing is to understand whether he's a promoter or a detractor and, you know, that kind of thing. But more importantly, what do you do about it? And we started giving this to this information, collecting this information and giving it to all the people in the organization. So there was no hierarchy that, you know, this board report would go to the chairman or yep. to the business. It would go to everybody. It would go to the factory floor. It would go to the store manager. He knows what his NPS score was yesterday. And uh, and he meets with his staff team in the store and says, hey, what should we do today? You know, we heard that this was an issue. Okay, let's order this merchandise or let's, you know, create this experience or whatever so that people feel better. And then tomorrow he knows again how they're feeling. So by really empowering people across the organization and across functions, uh, this is very new for our group, actually, in that sense. And uh, uh it needed leaders to also be uh, to be okay with it. So we use a combination of understanding a measure, having that to start the conversation, but very quickly getting into uh, what is it about the measure that's important? What are people really saying? And listen and listen very closely. So uh, and that worked very well. People could start with the scores; so they felt comfortable with the number, and then they could start getting into discussion based on really listening to people. And I think that was one of the biggest changes we made. And the other was really to, another was, you know, to start working on a customer-centric framework. So we talked to the, uh, you know, we looked at all the frameworks in the world. We looked at the framework you created, Steve, the GE framework, the gold standard. Mm-hmm. We looked at the framework, we got to the Unilever framework. We looked at Philips, we looked at Japan. And we looked at many, many such companies. And we, we put it out there. We took all the, all our business managers, our marketing heads, our, IT heads, CIOs, CTOs, uh, you know, commercial guys. And we said, hey, we need a framework and, to understand customers. And here are all the frameworks of the best companies in the world. Uh, you can choose for your business whichever framework you want, but you need a framework. And I don't mind if every business chooses a different framework. And uh, so we went through this two-day workshop. And at the end, it was really interesting because everybody chose one framework, including B2B, B2C. And it was not the framework I expected. But it was essentially the framework about a customer journey. The customers go through moments of truth. 
if you can delight them at the moments of truth, they move to your brand. If you don't delight them compared to a competitor, they move to a competitor brand. And this opened out a number of possibilities because earlier it was about a transaction. I sell the product. I, I sell the product. They make an order. I dispatch it. I deliver it. I collect the money and that's it. Nobody was thinking about so many other moments of truth that you could now participate in. So whether it was a life insurance journey where people were, you know, whether it's, you know, buying a claim, sorry, buying a policy, or whether it's just getting interested or getting to know what are the risks in your family or in your organization, uh, then finally buying it. And then when, the, when you have to submit a claim, how is that experience going? And uh, understanding all those parts of the journey, again, opened up to everybody in the organization and allowed them to look at different moments of truth where they could contribute and do better. You sparked, sparked a couple of great, great insights there, Prakash. I mean, just, just from our point of view, we're really interested to find out just about that sort of leadership DNA. I mean, you're talking about unlearning many things. You know, can you tell us a bit about like what were the specific leadership behaviors that really helped you shift to this, this new way of being so customer centric? Yeah, I'm reminded of a, a rock song, uh, by this group called, uh, uh, Depeche Mode, Depeche Mode. Yeah, yeah. Right, they were a big rock group in the 80s and 90s. I love them. Um, So they have a beautiful song. It's a classic song called Try Walking in My Shoes. Right? So if you listen to that song, I mean, it's and when you think of customers, you know, the first thing is how do you walk in a customer's shoe? Customer's shoe. So we took, you know, the senior management, cross-functional management, purchase managers, uh, commercial managers who had never thought of this. And we said, hey, let's walk in the customer's shoes, whether it's a B2B business or B2C business. If it's buying mutual funds, well, walk in a customer's shoes, buying mutual funds. If it's, you know, uh, if you're selling to a uh, a uh, company, aluminum to a company that's making wires, well, let's go visit him. Let's spend a day with him. Let's walk, work in his factory. Let's understand his operators. Let's work. Let's see how they market to their customers. And uh, so, you know, uh, and then when they started doing that, they said, I never knew they went through this pain and I, because, you know, I can fix that. You know, I can, oh, I didn't know they were doing this invoicing thing. You know, for me, I mean, I think we can solve this really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, you know, so try, I mean, so try walking in my shoes is, uh, is, is, so, you know, walk in the customer's shoes. So really getting people across the organization, across levels. Mm-hmm. And so this creative guy came up and said, look, we want to talk about a concept called the Boston and everybody said, wow, you know, we get it. We get it. You know, now you're telling me what it is. So, and we, we launched that campaign. So, you know, our chairman is an iconic figure. He's an iconic figure in the country, Mr. Birla. And, uh, uh, you know, play lots of, uh, you know, he's a big guy. And he always sits at the head of the board meeting table and everybody's seen him like that. And everybody sits along the board meeting table and uh, he sits there and he talks. He's a very gentle person, very nice person. But he is there at that head. And I told him, look, when we're launching this, Mr. Birla, I want a customer to sit on that chair. And I want you to sit on the chair where I sit. <laughs> and I want to film that. And I want you to tell the first, actually, the first, the first video we did was him sitting next to the chair. The chair was empty. And him telling the whole, everyone, the 137,000 people in our group, saying, I'm not sitting on that chair because that chair is the chair for the customer. Neat. And, you know, that sends such a powerful message, just that one idea. And he's, and, you know, that the chairman is saying, this is what I'm going to give to him. And the next time I did it, which is a year later after we got this program going, 
uh, and I said, uh, we got to, you know, uh, so, so, uh, for, for the next campaign, I actually got actual, well, I got actors to act as customers. Okay. And sit on there. And he was interviewing them saying, Hey, you know, you're a pantaloon, you're one of our brand customers and how are you finding the experience? And, and, uh, and we did this crazy thing of, you know, we said in one year, we've got to, we've got to do a quantum jump in, in, uh, the way we deal with customers. So, so he introduces the film saying, I'm, you know, I'm now going a year later and I'm talking to these customers. And I'm going to listen to them, what you have done with them in the last, in the last one year. And so he goes and he's, he's talking to this customer and, you know, it's the same. It's, just, it's, a, it's a sort of like one year later scene. And he's saying, Hey, what's happened in the last one year? And the guy says, you know, your team has done this and your team has done this. And I feel, I find the change happening. And, you know, this guy came little stories and it was just so powerful for people to say, look, uh, I'm getting it now what you're saying. So it was the combination of the left side of the brain, these models, these frameworks, these tools, and the right side of the brain, which is the inspiration, the creativity, and the behavior change that you are asking them to do, uh, started coming through in a big way. But having said that, it is still a big push because the daily, daily life and daily routines, you, you know, overtake everything when you come in. The phone call rings and suddenly you forget all that you've seen. So it required a lot of, you know, every day, every week, motivation and, uh, you know, meetings, etc. But it happened. As you come forward uh, to the, let's say to to now in the last six months with the with the pandemic, talk to us a little bit about so how 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 were things going and which it sounds like quite well and what about you know you know the the, the crisis the the world is in obviously India is in it how how has that impacted the organization how has it impacted things like Hello Bostomer um, and and the the, the the customer focus because of just all the issues that relate to that uh, you know working you know working remotely business you know i'm sure your business has been impacted like all kinds of business have been impacted what 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 were some of the disruptions you saw and what as an organization um did you do what did you get involved with right so march 24th india went into lockdown and it was probably the longest and the most one of the toughest lockdowns in the world as as per many many publications and of course, many countries in the world have seen lockdowns and yep. uh, so many of our global businesses also face the same issues. Uh, and suddenly we had to work from home and, you know, team meetings started and people were, you know, it was, it was of course, very, very unsettling period. Uh, but around, uh, uh, so the first thing, of course, was to take care of the team and making sure everybody's safe, everybody's, you know, emotionally uh, settling in this. We're still settling. I can't say that it's 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 over because every day is so different. But but really getting people to feel okay about it. But I think around the uh, around the first week of April, so exactly about seven or eight days after we we went into lockdown, we started saying, okay, what are we going to do now? You know, how can we help? What can we do? So one of the things we said we're not going to disturb the businesses too much because uh, they have to figure out how they get back. How you know the priority was cash. Uh, conservative priority was uh, safety. The priority was uh, making sure that uh, organizations were okay, uh, our stakeholders were okay. So I said, look, just to just let the businesses do what they have to do. Uh, we don't have to now start telling them new programs and things like that. This is not what they need. And I think that's one of the things they appreciated when I talk to them now. That look, when I, when we were focused on something else, which is so important, you let us do that. You didn't you know, bombard us or take our time on 
things which were uh, which were useful, but not the priority of the day in such a crisis. Yeah. But having said, started talking about uh, what are some of the things we can do to delight customers at this time. So everybody was really, really uh, 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 concerned. And we started talking to customers. So all of us, you know, my team of 40 people at the center, we all knew customers in the businesses. And we all knew also, well, people like you and me, you know, people in the slums, people in the fancy buildings, people in the streets. And we said, we're going to keep listening to them. We're just going to keep talking to them. We set up a program, which has been days since then, where we keep in touch with all these customers and just say, hey, how are you? What's going on in your life? What's happening? And then we would consolidate those and say, what are the insights coming in? What's bothering people? Where? What's changing? What are they doing? How's the behavior changing? What could be that? What, what implications could that be for us? Uh, so one of the things we found very quickly was our, that our B2B customers were uh, actually their factories are closed. They were sitting at home. They didn't know what to do. Many of them were small and medium business enterprises, small textile units, small foundries, etc. Uh, small construction companies and relatively, un, you know, not so professional, professional. And they were scared and they were worried. So we said, okay, how about doing a series of webinars from our top people, our strategy head, our, uh, you know, uh, economics head, who is one of the leading economists in the country, uh, our uh, innovation head, our, uh, you know, mutual funds head, you know, whatever, you know. And let's just have those webinars, our HR head, about how to handle people. So we had a series of seven webinars over two weeks or two, three, two and a half weeks. And our customers loved it. You know, they said, look, we needed this because here is Adela saying, you know, first of all, that, yeah, they have the same problems as I do, which is a great you know, source of comfort. Mm-hmm. That here might be ways I can think about things. And here might be ways that I can look at things. And, you know, we started seeing digital attendance of these webinars every time. And, uh, and it was, you know, otherwise, it was just a way of connecting with the customers uh, when there was no transactions happening and uh, there was no business happening, but there was trans- but there was a connection. And I think it helped a lot to, to build with them. The kind of feedback we got was tremendous. Uh, we then did a, we then went on to other things. Uh, and I'll just mention two of them for you. One is, um, one is we said that uh, our B2B customers are, uh, you know, we are used to doing a lot of face-to-face selling, yeah. right? Our customers, go and we would talk to customers, go to their factory offices or plants, whatever, we would discuss with them. And uh, one of my colleagues, one of, a, one, of my, one of my chief marketing officers in one of my business rang me up and said, you know, I went for a walk in the morning and I was saying, look, we're not doing that now. We're engaging online. And I'm worried about how that's going to work out. Sure. Uh, and, he said, and I said, yeah, you're right. And let's think about it. But I said, look, uh, how do we, what, how might we make the virtual customer engagement process as good as the face-to-face process. And the first thing we said is it can't be possible because face to why do we do face-to-face, you know? Right, 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 yeah. Body language, we go out for dinner together, you know, we go out for lunch together. We, how can you do that when you're on virtual? And, uh, and then we said, well, that's the challenge that we have to accept. Now let's, so then I flipped it to my team and I said, look, I want face-to-face to be better. No, sorry, virtual engagement to be better than face-to-face. And I know that we can't copy the body language and the, you know, the, the, the body warmth and the, all that, but maybe there are other ways we can do, do it. So we started talking, we started looking at various, you know, the Harvards and Stanfords who were doing programs. And, uh, 
And then we said, look, uh, there are key, where, what are the key moments of truth? We went back to that customer journey. We said, what are the key moments of truth? Well, the customer is exploring an, uh, you know, a solution to a problem. The customer is evaluating alternatives. The customer is negotiating once he's, once he's chosen yeah. an alternative, negotiating. The customer is wanting technical services. You know, how does operators plant better? How is machines better? How can, and the customer has a crisis. So let's take these five stages, these five moments of truth. And let's see how we can use virtual customer engagement to be better. And then we started working on that and we discovered some really interesting ways to do it. So for example, let's say at the evaluation stage or, you know, when a customer is evaluating a solution, uh, I mean, there are many things we did. One was just cosmetic things like, where do you look into the camera? Uh, you know, are you looking too low? Are you looking too, are you making eye contact? Are you, is your voice coming through clearly? How do you, is, are you modulating your voice enough? You know, so basic things, those are the basics, but other things also, for example, when you engage with a customer and he's evaluating a proposal, Earlier, you would go all the way to that plant and you couldn't take the whole team with you because it would be just infeasible. But now, you, all the team can come on virtual. You can get, hey, I'm pulling my research head. I'm pulling my commercial head. I'm pulling my logistics head. Mm-hmm. They're still for this one hour with you and we're going to give you the best service possible. And that could not happen earlier, right? In fact, not only that, I am getting this, uh, this scientist from Imperial College London to be on this call to see how we can solve your problem, Right. And there's, a, and you know, it's not very expensive because the, the guy from Imperial College London is, you know, costs, I mean, for an hour, he's not going to charge the world, but if you right, had to fly. Right, right. right. And then that travel and that, the logistics, and, yeah, no, yeah, incredible. Fantastic insight. Five, you know, five months later or something, this could be done in three days, right? And the customer says, wow, you know, I've got the best people in this organization listening to me. And just the fact that he, we're listening to him is enough, right? Because half the time, what does a person want? He just wants you to listen to him. Right. That's what he yeah. wants. He doesn't like the solution and all is fine or the particular product issue is fine. But half the time, he just wants somebody to listen uh, who will listen to him. And we have these fantastic people now who can listen. So this is a way we could beat face to face by offering this, which we could never do face to face. So that was one solution. We discovered a solution where earlier, you, if you talk to a customer in Korea, right, you had to have a translator. So you would go with your dealer. And the reason you went with the dealer to that customer face-to-face is because the dealer would speak Korean and English, mm-hmm. right? So, besides doing a little bit of the joke work, but a lot of it was the translation part. Now you can get with Google Translator, I can speak to that person in English and that Korean customer can hear, can watch, can see what I'm saying in Korean. Wow. And when he's Korean, yeah. I can English. You can do that in face-to-face, right? Yep. So I with customers more and more, right? And uh, without a dealer, without an intermediary, right? So when we started discovering these at different moments of truth, our technical services, so how do you give the customer a special camera so they can show you what's happening on the line? And our technical services person doesn't have to fly down there and do it. And you know what? Customers earlier was used to be against. They wanted you to come over. Mm-hmm. But because of they're willing to do the virtual uh, engagement. They're willing to do it. Uh, because which they weren't willing to, and they are saying, "Hey, by the way, this is pretty good." Yeah, you know, I wanted you to come here and you know talk to me and on you know Friday the sixteenth at thirty three p.m. But now on you know it's we don't have to wait till Friday. We'll do it on Wednesday tomorrow at two p.m. Let's have a chat, and we're over. So uh, so we improve productivity. We're improving business, That's and true. people are people are thrilled. You know, we started this with twenty people. Now we have two hundred people on this program through our academy. So that's just one thing we've done, you know, and talk about you've been disrupted. So when you do disrupted, 
this is how you might be able to respond by actually saying, not that I want, in fact, I spoke to a professor who said, you know, we're, I'm doing this and I want face-to-face this to be 90% of face-to-face because I don't think we can get to face 100%. Right. And I said, I'm at being at 110% of face-to-face, not 90 or not 100. Mm-hmm. And I think like that, you start getting different kinds of solutions that, that you know, that come to you and you, when you challenge yourself. And I think that's one of the parts of handling disruption. Another part is, you know, digital engagement. Uh, I mean, uh, we're now developing solutions for customers at a speed we never did before. Uh, we started with, there was a concept. I was introduced to a business which had an idea four weeks ago. Uh, and uh, we are going to go into market with that in two weeks time, uh, which is like seven weeks. The company has never done anything so fast. And I'm telling them we're still too slow. Uh, we should have been in with full packaging, uh, you know, legal approvals, product testing, pricing, um, advertising, branding, everything. It's a it's a massive shift that you've done there, that new way of working. Um, where most companies are, are very slow, your size company can be extremely slow procurement regulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just to unpack, like how did you how did you get that shift? Was it you know obviously there's the new economy, but just understanding how did how did you set yourself yeah. up different? Sounds like you you had to do a massive pivot in terms of getting that speed. I mean, how, how does that actually work? What are the mechanics of that? You know, for our listeners. But I think the the uh, the biggest you know uh, opportunity is the crisis, right? I mean, uh, there's a crisis, so uh, yep. you can you use the crisis as an excuse for doing many things, and uh, you can put the urgency in. And uh, and also you have to be mindful about the fact that uh, you don't want to do it unnecessarily. You're not doing it because uh, you want to do something. <clears throat> you're doing great value, and yeah. uh, and I think that's very important um, yeah, that they get that right message that this is <laughs> this is. <laughs> but when we do that, I think digital, this whole digital engagement allows us to do things we've never done before. And suddenly, when they start seeing things happening, uh, they start. <clears throat> You know, bringing in a larger purpose of why this has to be done, why this is important, what can it do for the business uh, is really useful. So, for example, I said, you know, in the business, in this virtual, you know, customer engagement program, I said, look, uh, you know, we sell out of our $48 billion, $30 billion is B2B, right? So if we can just delight customers through better virtual engagement and we can get back just 1%, Right. Uh, that's what is that? Like, that's a big number. Yeah. $300 million. Mm-hmm. Right. Isn't $300 million important to the group today when we're fighting for every dollar? Yeah. And people say, yeah. So I said, look, all we need is that. And we can do this because, you know, if we can engage with customers online better than we did before and better than what other customers, other competitors can do, uh, I think we can get $300 million. And suddenly people said, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. 300, that's so I think it's, it's you know, so different people respond to different uh, um, ideas or different, uh, you know, some people respond to a number, some people respond to stories, some people respond to a, 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 a vision. Uh, so some people respond just by bargaining. Yeah. Uh, but I think you've got to just find those tools and use whatever comes. And if you're passionate and desperate enough, uh, you know, something works. Awesome. So, but it's, Still, uh, having said that, look, it's it's still a struggle, of course. I mean, it's a big ship, and you to move it, etc. But I think our, uh, I, I see a new level of excitement in the company. You know, you move from helplessness. Oh my God, there's a crisis, and 
what are we going to do? And markets are declining and everything is, you know, so this whole helplessness to say, look, I, you can do something. We can do something together and let's do it. And let's do it with our customers. So, uh, and let's do it quickly. So when that, when you start creating that, I think the, the mindset sort of shifts and people start saying, well, yeah, maybe we should try. If you could sum up, you know, just a couple of things that you feel you're leaving with, with the organization that uh, you're, you're most proud of. What would you, what would you say? You've got an enormous amount of accomplishments <clears throat> across obviously a var- varied career, but uh, just, just give us a couple of quick, quick highlights that, uh, you know, you, you think your team and the organization uh, will, will keep once you're, once you've moved on to your next role. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, to me, it's uh, what happens when you're not in the room. That's important. And uh, I, I had that I had that lovely experience when one day I was sitting in one of the one of our conference rooms and I was alone and uh, it was late in the evening and I overheard a discussion in the next room because the panel wood panels were very thin and these guys were talking pretty loudly and there was a I think a logistics manager a commercial manager and a sales manager uh, and uh, you know senior middle managers and uh, and they were discussing and they were talking about. You know, what does the customer want? Why does he want it? How does, you know, and the, the discussion was all about starting with the customer. And I said, they don't even know I'm here. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's really important. But that, if I've left that behind, that, you know, yep. when you're not in the room, people are thinking about starting with the customer. Thinking about the and, and I think uh, we'd have done something. I think uh, uh, leaving a team, leaving a frame, you know, leaving behind models and tools that they can use to, to lie, to rely on, to make the job done, to get the job done, to get it work to work, I think is the second. And I think, uh, 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 and getting people to, uh, you know, to start saying, uh, yeah, what is the, I, I, I go back to that point and, and getting people to actually walk in the customer's shoes. So really getting them to get out there, you know, listen to customers, talk to customers, uh, is something that uh, at every level and across the organization, across functions, across levels, uh, that is something that I think uh, I'd be proud to uh, to to uh, be behind. I've got like pages of notes here. I'm not even sure if I can quickly summarize them, but I, I mean, the, the the first thing I would point out is how you've taken such a you know huge, far flung organization and have been able to work with with leadership to create. You know, get people to flip their mindset from what's a value to us to what's a value of a customer. And I think that's a, that's a, just a fundamental change that in this world of disruption, it's just amazing how many companies still miss that. And it's about making their quarterly numbers and their profit and their productivity. And they don't think about what has to happen with the, uh, with the customer. And then the second thing I, I put in is, that you know you 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 made it your own. That's a, the term I use. And what I mean by you made it your own is, you know, you brought in NPX, you brought in mission happiness. You you know, a couple of quotes I wrote down is you know you know went you went from the workers on the factory floor getting the NPS all the way up to the leadership. And it wasn't about reporting and you know that, but it was what's important, which is how are we doing for the how are we doing for the customer? And then you know your your review of you looked at GE, you said, you looked at Unilever, you looked at P&G, but then ultimately you and your teams picked what was important for you. And that to me is kind of the core of making it your own um, in terms of what you what you did. I mean, the highlight I keep coming back to is hello, hello, Bostomer, and the insights that you get from doing that and just, you know, the regular uh, cadence of going out, 
talking to the customer, you know, just some incredible stories and highlights. You know, having your having your chairman sit next to an empty chair and saying that's reserved for the customer. I mean, you know, I think we we know those of us that grew up in marketing and strategy that you know symbolism and leadership is very very important. And you know, there's cues and visual cues, but I could just imagine the power of that uh, of that video. I've heard you talk about it before, and I'm sure that was a you know a a, a, a huge tipping point moment when people saw that and said, wow, if the chairman is doing that, then the customer really is important because they, they follow that. So, I mean, hats off on that. And then just even this recent, you know, virtual customer engagement because of the pandemic, you know, the world's disrupted. Um, we're going to be disrupted, I think, for some time. And for you to talk about, you know, has, going from helplessness to excitement, you know, I, I, I've had, um, uh, I, I haven't had anyone say, you know what, we're going to make the virtual experience even better than the face-to-face experience. I mean, what a, what, a, what a great goal. And then when you think about it, you can invite people from anywhere. Okay. You don't have to travel. You don't have the expense. You, you, you tend not to have the scheduling conference because it's like, let's find an hour when we can all meet and you can pull people literally from any function, any geography, um, you know, anywhere in the globe and, uh, and you're doing it. So, I mean, hats off. To that and I, I just think your you know your last comment about you know when I asked like hey what's your legacy the fact that you know you've heard people when you're not in the room talking about hey what's important to the customer means you really made a great uh, a great contribution so come join the movement find us at bitly forward slash disrupted today